Uh, hey, welcome again. I'm Kyle. I, I get to be the pastor here at Regen. And uh, two years ago, we started Regen uh, under the line of give church another chance with this idea that nine out of 10 people in Trumbull County uh, don't have a real relationship with church, most of them under 40. And we wanted to invite people to see Jesus and interrupt their lives with love and love, his love and grace. And it has been um, a hard journey. It has been a good journey. And for all of you that have worked really hard to make it a reality, thank you. Um, we're going to keep celebrating all month. Uh, next week is Root Beer Floats. There's a whole bunch of different crazy stuff that we're doing. There's a photo booth in the back. Please take a picture. It's going to be back next week. Um, we're just really excited about what Jesus is doing and can't wait to be a part of what he longs to continue to do. We're in the third to last installment in our series uh, called Extravagant, uh, which I don't have a, any slides for, Sid, so you can just leave that one up, and that's good. Um, I realized that while we were singing. Uh, so you can just chill, brother. You can just hang. And uh, when we finish this series, what we'll do is on October 23rd, we're going to have a panel discussion. I'll be reaching out to a couple of you to sit on that panel and help us out. Uh, I know there's a lot of questions we're wrestling through when it comes to generosity, and so we'll create an opportunity for you to hear stories of how God's provided for people, how people make decisions around generosity budget, and then Vanessa and I still have to throw on the calendar an opportunity for her to host kind of a conversation and some training around budgeting. We threw out online this week a quick anonymous survey, um, uh, but I lied to you and I said it was anonymous because I tracked all your responses back to your IP address, and now I know. I'm just kidding. Um, um, but so we built this survey just to kind of get a sense of where everybody was in terms of their experience and journey in giving. And I think one of the pieces that really struck me is a lot of respondents indicated that planning for the future is a piece that is hindering to them. And so we want to make sure that that comes in. And then a lot of people just said, I don't feel like I have the money. Um, interestingly, uh, a lot of my research is around a millennial spirituality, people in their 18 to like 30 years old. Um, millennials who have money still feel like they don't have money. So it really becomes like a management and confidence issue than it is anything else. Um, so we'll, we'll be giving you opportunities to work through that and then at that panel discussion. And then after that, October 30th, um, we're beginning our series on heaven, uh, which in the middle of the night I found the title for, which is Face to Face. Um, because in heaven, this is when all the realities of what we sing about and pray about and live into, uh, we no longer just talk about, but they become something we see and touch and know. And so we'll be diving into that on October 30th through the end of November and then into our Christmas series. And before you know it, I don't know, it's like 2017 and we'll have flying cars or something. So uh, go ahead and go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you're looking on the Bible app, Kyle was in charge of technology this week because Vanessa had a crazy week at work. That didn't happen, so don't worry about it. So uh, go ahead and grab one of those paper Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1, curricul 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, page 6, what? 697. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me pray and we'll get into this. Jesus, uh, where, the, where, the, where your nature is spoken of, there you are present. And so make yourself present to us. Um, you're good. We just sang that. We want to know that in real ways. And so help us to see that in this text before us tonight, Jesus. Amen. When people think about God, there's this misconception that he's super interested in their money. People, especially when they think about the church, think that the church is really just in it to get cash from them. In fact, in a survey done of people in our community here in Trimble County, of people that don't participate in church at all, 
one in three of those people say that they don't participate in church because the church is too interested in money. In Trumbull County, of all those people who don't participate in church, one in three of them said that they don't because the church is too interested in their money. Nine out of 10 people in Trumbull County don't attend church, and one out of three of those nine and 10 don't do it because they think the church is too interested in their money. And so here we are on week four of a series on money. Here we are talking more and more about money, but as we've walked through this series, the stunning realization that we keep having is that when God talks about money, it is primarily in categories, not of what he wants from us, but what he wants for us. When God talks about money in scripture, it's not about what he wants from us, it's about what he wants for us, which would be good news to the 72% of people in Trumbull County who, when asked, said day-to-day financial concerns are of significant or moderate concern to them. 72 people, seven in 10 people in our community said that, hey, my day-to-day financial living is of significant or moderate concern to me. 79% of people in our county say that planning for the future, paying for their kid's college or retirement or just having enough savings, that is of significant or moderate concern to them. So let me put that a different way. Only one in five people in Trumbull County aren't worried about money. Only one in five people in Trouble County aren't worried about money, and I bet one of them lives in that giant mansion on Route 46. You know what I'm talking about up there? (laughs) He's one of them people. Um, One in five people. But here's the crazy thing about what we find about God in Scripture is God wants to transform that one in five to five in five. God wants five in five people in Trumbull County not to have concerns about their day-to-day financial stuff, and that he doesn't want, he wants five in five of them not to have concerns about, about the future. What God wants to do is transform our fear about money into confidence. He wants to transform our fear about money into confidence, and he does that, he does that by inviting us to give. It's It's stunning. But as we give, we become convinced and we experience not only God's willingness to provide for us, but his capability to do so. And so in 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to see how Paul writes about how we, our fear is transformed into confidence. But there's one problem with that. I wanted to preach 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. But then I realized you can't really preach 2 Corinthians 9 without talking about 2 Corinthians 8. And you can't talk about 2 Corinthians 8 without talking about 1 Corinthians 16. So we'll only be here for about three hours, and uh, then we'll get through uh, everything. I'm just kidding. But, but let's, let's, let's kind of tune into what's happening. We, we did the book of Deuteronomy. At the beginning of this series, we jumped to the book of Malachi toward the end of the Old Testament. Last week, we talked about Jesus. Now we're in the letters of Paul. Um, we're going to do one more letter of Paul at the end of 1 Timothy. Paul has this really interesting stuff about uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. So that's where we're going to end. We're going to talk about contentment, but for today, I want to look at everything Paul has to say about money in First and Second Corinthians, and the situation is this, that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Christianity explodes across the Mediterranean. And by the Mediterranean, I mean places like Turkey and Italy and Syria and North Africa and, and Greece and, and Spain, even as far north as France uh, and, and, and the northern parts of Europe, it explodes In the book of Acts, uh, those of us that are kind of familiar with the story, uh, Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, preaches to this giant crowd of people. And there's this long list of where all of these people were from in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches to them, 
and they believe the gospel, thousands of them, and they go back to their home countries, even places as far away as China, and they spread the gospel. The gospel explodes, especially, it especially explodes in the city of Jerusalem, the very city, ironically, where Jesus was crucified, becomes one of the earliest strongholds and foundations of the, of the way of Jesus. Jesus, his first disciples preach powerfully. They perform many miracles. And James, this is the guy that we preached about for 11 weeks this summer. Uh, the book of James this is, is the, authored by this guy. James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes the lead, uh, the lead shepherd of this Christian community in Jerusalem. The way of Jesus is in scripture handled partially as a political problem. We're probably gonna spend most of 2017 in one of the gospels and we'll see this because what happened is you had Christians in Jerusalem confessing Jesus is Lord. And there was this guy that considered himself Lord named Caesar over in Rome who had a problem with that and looked unkindly on movements against his emperorship. And so Christians saying Jesus is Lord not only made Roman governors a little nervous because they didn't want Rome's attention on them, it also made the Jewish powers in Jerusalem a little nervous. And so pretty soon, Jew Christians in Jerusalem are being dragged out of their house in the middle of the night. They are being beaten. Uh, they are losing their jobs. They're being put into poverty. And before you know it, this church is in tremendous, desperate need. And as the persecution continues, word of that persecution spreads to other churches around the known world. They hear about the poverty and need of the Christians in Jerusalem and churches around the Mediterranean step up to the plate. They say, we have finances, we have material stuff that we can use to alleviate the need. And also, here's what they understood, that the poverty and struggle of the Jerusalem Christians was putting the gospel mission at risk. The mission of the gospel was put at risk by what was going on in Jerusalem. And so believers in Galatia and Corinth and Macedonia and around the world are saying, hey, I can throw some money into a pot. And not only is that going to alleviate their, their distress, but it's also going to make sure that the mission of the gospel goes forward. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which is where we'll start. You don't need to turn there because I'll just read it addresses this. We, we have two letters in our Bibles from the that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that are more likely 2nd and 4th Corinthians. We don't have letters 1 and 3. And you see that in chapter 16 because Paul says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. So obviously they wrote him a question. Okay, and so now he's going to write him back. And he says, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is in Turkey. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Okay, that's just like a good like, line for our life. Don't wait until the last minute and try to get it done, which is how I do everything. Okay, don't wait until I get, I had a paper due Thursday. What am I doing Thursday afternoon? Like writing about letter 55 from Cyprian. You know what I mean? Like help me out. And, there, and then try to collect it all at once. He says, when I come, I'll write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. The believers in Corinth and Galatia see the distress of their brothers and sisters, their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, and they say, we can do that. Listen, if your brother or your sister is in trouble, you do something about it. 
Because your family, this is what family does, especially in a very family-oriented community like we have. When brother or sister's in trouble, we're going to jump in, even if it comes at financial cost to us, and that's what happens. They say, these are our people, and if I can throw 20 bucks in some guy's bag, and he can take it over there, and that helps, I'm going to do it. It's with that spirit that Paul is saying, this is why you give. And so he says, so on the first day of every week, which was when they gathered regularly for worship in the early church, just take some of that money, let's throw it in a pot, I'll get some messengers to take it, and maybe I'll even go too. This is where, by the way, we get that principle of giving regularly. This is where we get that principle of giving regularly. A couple weeks ago, we talked about giving regularly, generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully, and all those bubble up out of this text. But giving regularly for them was the first day of every week. For now, us, it could be once a month. It could be on the 1st and the 15th or the 12th and the 26th. I don't care. But here's why you give regularly. Here's why you give regularly. My experience about anxiety over our finances is not periodic. It is chronic. It is persistent. It is ongoing. And when you've got a wart or a foot fungus that is persistent and ongoing, and the doctor says you can apply this ointment every four hours, man, you are watching your watch. Do you know what I'm saying? I actually do have one slide. It's of this foot fungus. Just kidding. Um, But when you've got like a wart or like a foot fungus or something, the doctor's like, hey, every four hours, you are like, okay, uh, you're watching the seconds and slap that baby on, right? Because you want to deal with that problem. And that is the same spirit by which we give regularly. Because we need to consistently and regularly address and keep the anxiety in our hearts at bay. We need to keep the anxiety about our finances at bay, just like we need to keep those foot funguses at bay. And you do it regularly. What kills, what kills our chronic anxiety about our finances is regular doses of generosity, which reminds us ultimately that God provides for us. Now, when I was in college, I, was, uh, I did not get a foot fungus. We're changing stories now. Um, when I was in college, I was part of a church that underwent a lot of change. It was Des Plaines Bible Church, which, met in the, which was up in the northern suburbs. And um, I had the pastor's son and I were in a class together. He, his dad had just taken this church and really had a vision to really, really revitalize it. It was a neighborhood church um, that was not really reaching its people. It was aging. It was doing all these kinds of things. And uh, man, you know, I lead change, leaders lead, that's what I do. Um, ask like Sid and Lynn, like they're at the Grace Campus, like I have my foot, like I've got pedal to the metal in some places there, but this guy makes me look like a snail. I mean, in his first year, he fired all the staff, he initiated a name change, he, and he initiated what we call a capital campaign. And if you're new to the church, or even if you're younger in the church, you may not have experienced this. A capital campaign is how a church goes about raising like $3 million, which is about how much they raise to build a new building and do a couple different things. And capital campaigns means there's sermons and there's letters and all these special meetings and all this kind of stuff. And then it all culminates on a Sunday where everybody makes a pledge that they're going to give over and above their like regular giving for three years to bring in that $3 million. And so there was a Sunday where like we were all given this like cardboard brick and we had to put our pledge card in the brick and build a bridge because we were changing our name from Displains to the Bridge Community Church, right? It was kind of cute. Kyle was a freshman in college. I was super excited. This is like the first church I'm involved in as an adult. And so it comes to Pledge Sunday, and I write down on my card that I'm going to give 2,500 bucks over the next two years, next three years. I was young, I was naive, and I was making $4,000 a year. 
And so I think uh, I ended up leaving that church even technically like halfway through the pledge when it hap- happened. But I think they maybe got like 200 bucks from me. You know, so just so we know that, you know, we're not all perfect here. That's exactly what happened. I got excited. I caught, caught the vision. I was, my emotions were played on. And so I made a commitment that I couldn't keep up with. And that's kind of what happens in the Corinthian church is a year passes from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. And in that time period, this eagerness and excitement with which the Corinthian church had said, hey, we're going to take care of our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It's kind of like they were calling over to Corinth and being like, hey guys, like we could use some help. And nobody was answering the phone. They weren't anywhere to be found. The Corinth believers had kind of fallen off the wagon. This was awkward partially because other churches, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 at the beginning of that chapter, he says other churches, namely in Macedonia, had heard about Corinth giving all this money and they said, hey, we want to do that too. And Macedonia gave a ton of money and they were the poorest church. The poorest church gave the most money. And so Paul, at the very least, he kind of actually plays on the Corinthian church's pride because he's like, well, you guys kind of made this commitment and now you're not doing it. The poor people are getting it. And da And so look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 10 through 14. In 2 Corinthians 8, 10 through 14, Paul says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Take that out of context, put it on a Hobby Lobby plaque, because I think we all need that one. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. I don't know what it is. Uh, We still have these places that we need to patch up paint in the house that we moved into 15 months later. You know, it'd be good for us to start, finish what we started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning, this is so crazy, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So Kyle's mistake, I gave according to what I did not have. At 19, he was so young, he didn't know better. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others or hard on yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Hashtag Bernie Sanders. Right now, you have, it's the first political comment I've made all year. I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and share with you when you need it. In this way, all things will be equal. Really quick, what Paul says here is, man, y'all were so excited to give. Y'all were ready, you were eager, you were filled with zeal, and you started, and then you stopped. And he says, I want you to kind of get back on the wagon, get back on the train, finish out your commitment. And he lo- he, Paul is reasonable. The Bible is reasonable when it comes to money because he's like, listen, I'm not saying that you need to live in poverty so they don't have to. He's just saying, I think we can, we can even this out a little bit. I think you can live on a little less so that they can have a little more and we all get along a little better. But three things just stuck out to me in this text, and it's not even the text that we're preaching on, and we've been here for 15 minutes, so somebody say, help him, Jesus. But three things, thanks, three things that I thought were really interesting. First, with this idea of the Macedonians, who were the poorest church that gave a lot, sometimes it's the poorest among us that give the most. Those who make the least and have the least often give the most. If not in terms of bottom line, then in terms of percentage. So Jesus tells the story about a widow who... Um, enters into the temple and throws like a penny in the offering box right after some wealthy guy just like dumped a basket full of money into it. And Jesus says that she gave more because she gave out of her poverty while the other dude gave out of his wealth. 
it is often those who have the least who give the most. When I was at Moody, I um, worked uh, in, I had the most interesting job on campus, which was not public safety, which was probably good. Um, my job was, um, Moody's a Bible college, they've got radio stations all over the country, and so people would write in letters to Moody asking what Moody believes about this, that, or the other. So like, what does Moody believe about speaking in tongues? What does Moody believe about Oprah? What does Moody believe about Joel Osteen? What does Moody believe, does Moody believe that Barack Obama is, is the Antichrist? Interesting political flair this evening. And, um, and, and, and so in this, I, would, I had the job of writing these letters back. No, Barack Obama's not the Antichrist. We don't comment about Oprah. We don't comment about these people. This is what we believe about this, da 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 da, da. And half of the time, those letters were written in shaky handwriting from like a little, a little lady or a little old man. And uh, inside the letter always was like a $5 bill. And, he, and they would say, this is really all I have. I'm on a fixed income, but I just really want to support the next generation of ministry leaders. Those who have the least often give the most. So first, those who have the least often give the most. Second, it's possible to get excited about giving and that passion to go away. You have to grow, guard your heart constantly about, growing, about of growing weary while doing good. You have to constantly guard your heart of growing weary while doing good. Two years of regeneration, you know what I've learned? Guard your heart against growing weary and doing good. Because some of you are getting really excited to give. And, and by the way, giving has gone up. Y'all are buying in. And again, thank you. Thank you for saying this is my place. This is my home. I want to support it. This is, I'm excited by that. My encouragement is to make sure that you're being thoughtful and wise as you engage in giving. And here's what I mean. If you give too much, you're going to burn out. This is why I say sacrificial giving pinches. It does not like clamp. Do you know what I'm saying? There should be a pinch. It shouldn't hurt because if it hurts, you're going to stop giving. So you want to you give sacrificially, which means that, but you also don't want to give so little that you don't feel like you're not really making a difference because if you give that little, you begin to tell yourself, well, they're not going to notice if I stop. And that's when the eagerness of giving goes away. There's also this thing, and I think this applies to those of us who have been giving longer in our lives, it, we, we have to guard against that, letting that eagerness die. And I think that eagerness in giving dies when you no longer view yourself as investing in a mission and view yourself in investing in a service. This is what will happen when all of y'all grow into your 50s, y'all young Christians, right? Because what you'll start to do is you'll start to give in order to get your pastor and church to do the things you want. So it's a quid pro quo. And you stop giving when the service you get isn't what you want. But if you're giving for a mission and a vision, which at Regen, we would say the most important person in the room is the person that's not here yet. When you're giving to that, you don't burn out on giving. The eagerness doesn't go away because in Kyle and Stephanie's mind, for example, it's, man, if this money is going to reach a person and help them know Jesus, like, take my money. You know, like, Jesus can make it up on the back end. Those are, I thought those were three interesting things out of 2 Corinthians 8. So Paul, against that backdrop, now does this teaching in 2 Corinthians 9. And here's what he, here what he says. I'm just going to read you all of six through 15 out of chapter 9, and then give you three more principles, and we're out of here. Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who, gener who plants generously will get a generous crop. If you ha have ever turned on TV late at night, and there's some guy in a fancy suit preaching at you, it, he loves these verses, or she loves these verses, right? He'll, I mean, I mean, 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. See, that's the part that they've not read on, t- on the TV preachers. Okay, what they read is, if you, if you give generously, God will bless you generously, and I'm gonna exert a lot of pressure on you to make that happen in direct disobedience to verse seven. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty of leftover to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. There's a woman at the Grace Campus that we have a food pantry there. It's one of the only food pantries in the county that is entirely run on like in-house donations and private donations. There's no like no government or, or other agency is dropping off food by the barrel to us. It's all run. And I thought of that. I thought of Shirley, who's, she's in her autumn years. She, she shows me what it looks like to serve Jesus, um, even in her singleness. And, and, she, and when it says their good deeds will be remembered forever. Uh, you know, if you hang around church long enough, you'll sometimes find in church like the Bob W. Smith Library, right? Like there's like rooms, especially Methodist churches. We're weird like that. You know what I mean? But I do think in heaven that there's somewhere that we're going to have memory for the good deeds of people that took care of the poor. I don't know if it's a plaque or a party or a special pin or something. I don't know. But there, so verse 10, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest of generosity in you. Look at that. When we're generous, God provides for you Not just at the level you're at, he bumps you up a level, but he bumps you up a level, why? So that he can produce a rich harvest of generosity in you. God prospers you so that you can be more generous. If you're making more than you were making three years ago, you better be more generous than you were three years ago. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. See, he's using way too many strong words. Like, I'm, I'm behind, you will be enriched in every way. Yeah, bought in, Paul so that you can always be generous. Darn it. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they'll thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus And they will pray for you with deep affection. Go to Africa and listen to how they pray for you. They will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Three things. I think this text is just fascinating. I could just keep going on and on. Three things. Three principles. First, there's a principle of provision. Okay, three different or four different places in this text. I wrote down the first half of eight, the second half of eight, in 10 and other places. It makes it clear that God has a heart to provide for your needs. Can we stop and just say that God is trying to get us to understand something? Because in every installment of this series, what have I said to you? God wants to provide for you. Listen, married guys in this room know like when your wife keeps saying something to you, she's trying to say something to you, You know what I'm saying? Like more than once, twice, three times, like I'm supposed to be tuning in now. Here's the deal. God's trying to get something through our heads. And the thing that he's trying to get through our heads is that not only is he interested in it, not only is he willing to, but he is very much more than able to provide for our needs. That's the God we serve. I mean, that's incredible. 
But look at why he does provide for you. Like in verse 10, God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. If God provides for you, it's so that you can provide for others. When God provides for you, it's so that you can provide for others. One of my favorite quotes, if you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. If you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. If you have more than you need, if God has prospered you, it's so that you can have a bigger table, not a higher fence. When God provides and prospers you, it's for the benefit of others. It's so that you can give to missionaries so that somewhere in Africa or in Europe or a girl like Shelby can go to Ecuador and talk about the gospel with people so we can keep the lights on and our staff paid and so we can buy mugs to give people so that they're shocked by the generosity of Jesus when they walk in our door and we can buy cupcakes and every possible green party supply available on Amazon. And um, God provides so that we can provide for others. That's the first principle in 2 Corinthians 9. The second is this principle of ministry and progress. Twice, Paul calls, minis- uh, calls giving a ministry. Verse 12, from this ministry of giving, and verse 13, as a result of your ministry. If somebody says to you, hey, are you involved in, how are you involved at Regen? One of the ministries that you're involved in is you give. If you give, that's one of your ministries. And some of you in this room have been given the gift of giving. When you step across the line of faith, the Holy Spirit equips you with special gifts to help expand the kingdom. Here's, here's what's happening right now. The church are, is, is the embassy of Jesus. It is the forward movement of Jesus. And we are all just kind of practicing right now the roles that we will have forever in the kingdom. So some of you have been given the gift of giving because good news, you're going to practice the gift of giving forever. I have the gift of preaching. I don't know exactly what that looks like in the kingdom because I feel like when we all know, right? So I I don't know what, so I don't know. Maybe I just get to like sit on a couch or something or read books or I don't know. Y'all with the gift of serving, that sucks for you. But, but some of you have been given this gift. All of us are called to a ministry of giving. See, some people are given the gift of evangelism, and then people will do the same. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. We all have to do it. We all have to do the gift of giving. But people with the gift of giving, man, they make the church world go round. Talk to any missionary, and they've got two or three people with the gift of giving that make up 40% of their, of their, month, of their, their monthly support. Big churches are big because people with the gift of giving are cutting checks for like 200 grand a year to make those things run. So if that's God's call in your life, feel free. But all of us are called to this ministry and the ministry of giving and the, and the work of giving makes the gospel go forward. Look at what Paul says. He says, they will give glory to God. He says two things will happen. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Disciples will be made. Needs are going to be met. The gospel is going to go forward. Man, if I can throw 25 bucks at something and a disciple's going to get made, sign me up. Sign me up. So there's this tie of this principle of ministry and progress. We give because it makes the gospel go forward. And then I love that there's this principle of glory. Ultimately, we give so that God can, has, an op, has an opportunity to get the glory. Here's what glory means. Glory is a Hebrew word, kavod. It means heavy. It's the weight of his presence. 
Put a different way, it's, it's, the, it's the sheer tonnage of his magnificence. Uh, it is the uh, cubic measure of his fame. And we give to make the cubic measure bigger. We give to make it heavier. We give to make the sheer tonnage heavier. And so one of the ways that that happens, we make God, we make God glorified is when we give to people that don't know Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, Lindsay and I took over all those school supplies to McGuffey K-8 that we did the August 1 thing. They could not stop talking about it. And I'm like, you, got, you start to get to a point where I'm like, guys, it's notebook paper. You know what I mean? Like, y'all need to take a chill pill, right? Like, it's just, it's some folders. I think there's a pen in there, but they think it's the best thing ever. We, we're going to take, if you didn't hear about this, October 23rd is our October one thing. It's sweatpants Sunday. So we're collecting sweatpants for kids at McGuffey K-8, little sweatpants, because guys, they like wet themselves, and they need to, like, put them in some pants, and the pants don't come back. They're, they're little guys. So I think it's sizes four slash five through seven slash eight. Men, ask your wives or a woman that understands these things, because I, you know, solid colors. But also on sweatpants Sunday, we're wearing sweatpants, right? So sweatpants Sunday, bring a pair, bring a pair, wear a pair. Obviously, you probably need bigger ones, right? <laughs> and, the, and the seven and eight ones. Otherwise, they're like little tights or something. I don't know. But when we do that, when we gave away those sunglasses at the recovery rally, when we give away mugs, people that don't know Jesus are blown away, and that gives God glory. Secondly, when the, we give to make the gospel go forth, and when the gospel goes forth, God is made more famous. There's, there's something wrong in our hearts if God's glory is a boring category. There's something wrong in our hearts if God's glory is, is on the tantamount with our parents saying, because I said so. Like God's glory should, in the heart of a follower of Jesus, stir up some kind of emotion that when I say we give to make God more famous and more glorious, we're like, all right, I'm bought in. Sometimes we need to teach. We got baby Christians. That's okay. God wants us to give so it advances the mission, which will give him glory, which is what Paul talks about here. And thirdly, we give so that God can give some serious street cred. A couple weeks ago, like I told a brief story about, you know, we, get, we gave and we're given on the front end so God can make it up on the back end and God shows up and provides for you. And Anthony told a story about God showed up and provide for you. I'll tell you what, like in that moment, you're like, dude, God is awesome. Gives him some serious street cred. That's where this principle of glory from. But check out this, step back from First and Second Corinthians for a second and see the vision that Jesus has for his church of which he has for us. He has this vision of a people who are so committed to generosity that they're willing to live on less if it means others' needs will be met, if it means the gospel will go forward, if it, if it means that he'll receive more glory. God is building a people so committed to the gospel that we say he's really all we need. And so I will live on less, I will give generously, I will sacrifice if it means people, some of whom I don't even know, will come to know Jesus. Because we're so captured by the gospel that we will do whatever it takes in order for people to see Jesus. That's the vision that Paul has for this. He's saying, if you guys are going to give to this church, you're never going to meet them. But I guarantee you there are believers sitting right next to each other in heaven. A guy from Corinth and a guy from Jerusalem, circa 50 AD, who are high-fiving and saying, thank you. Because I know Jesus because you gave. 
I mean, that's the bottom line, and that's the vision that Jesus has, is that we view ourselves so committed to the gospel that, heck, if it takes an extra 20 bucks a week to make it happen, I'll make it happen. Because we have ultimately been the recipients of such wealth. Earthly wealth seems silly. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. See, we have inherited a wealth so eternal. We have inherited a wealth so weighty that I don't need my real money anymore because I have been made rich in the kindness and love and grace of Jesus. And so, heck, take 20 bucks. That's what it's about. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Listen, if you're sitting in this room, this is where I'm going to end. If you're sitting at this room, it's because somebody gave money to some church or to some ministry that either paid for your discipleship, either through a pastor or through a pastor or or a staff person or a ministry that trained you with the person that told you about Jesus. You're sitting in this room because somebody gave. Isn't that unbelievable? Like somebody that didn't even know you threw some money into a basket somewhere so that you would know Jesus. And now Jesus says, you know this generous grace. Let's help others know it. Let's pray and then we'll... Jesus, uh, help us to see you more clearly. Help us to know and share in your generosity and help us to, in all things, glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.